0: Good morning, Pierre.
1: Good morning, Gil. Uh,
0: my, uh, my guest today is Pierre Etienne, um, and uh, Dr. Etienne uh, has been uh, in, the, in the life sciences, um, medical sciences area for a long time. Uh, after obtaining his medical degree in Belgium in 1972, uh, Pierre Etienne moved to McGill University, where he did postgraduate work in neurochemistry. There, uh, he directed a program on the biochemical, physiological, and neuropathological basis of Alzheimer's disease. After a brief passage in experimental medicine in Seba Geigi, now Novartis, he went back to McGill in 1987, dividing his time between Montreal Neurological Institute and Allen Memorial Institute. In 1989, he joined Pfizer as director of experimental medicine, responsible for all phase 2A programs for US and Japan discovered compounds. In 1992, he became responsible for the entire early development program at Pfizer. Um, And uh, he was a team leader for the early development uh, of several compounds, such as Ciprazidone and Adicept. In 2000, he became vice president development operations, Pfizer global research and development, responsible for the execution of all Pfizer full development clinical programs worldwide. In 2003, he became CEO of PhageTech, a privately held biotechnology company based in Montreal, Canada. Uh, PhageTech exploited a proprietary platform based on phage-bacterial-intracellular interactions to research and and develop new classes of synthetic antibiotics. PhageTech later became Targenta, Targenta Therapeutics, that went public on NASDAQ in the summer of 2008. In in December 2009, he started a new life as a physician at the Douglas Institute at McGill. In July uh, 2011, he was appointed director of the Clinical Research Division. Uh, He is now co-director of the Alzheimer's Disease Prevention Program, which is called STOP-AD. Welcome, Pierre. Thank you. So, um, given the COVID situation, um, I would like to start... Uh, you know, in, on your experience in early clinical research. Um, there has been a lot in the airwaves about um, about vaccines, uh, some early results that uh, appear to sound promising. Uh, both of your um, uh, previous employers, Pfizer and Novartis uh, have said that uh, they have a moonshot in this area of uh, vaccine development. And uh, both, I believe, said they they're going to get a vaccine out by by this fall. Uh, from what I knew of pharmaceutical R and D, uh, this timeline appear um, really different from what what I had thought. Do you have a Do you have a sense of what's uh, what's happening?
1: Well, I read what's in the news, like everybody else who's interested in the subject. And uh, I'm impressed by the uh, new varieties of vaccines that uh, some companies intend to test. Uh, Moderna, for one, and Pfizer uh, have, uh, you know, new approaches to uh, vaccination. Uh, The idea being of exposing uh, the subject to genetic material or genetic-like material that will trigger the fabrication, the manufacturing of versions of viruses or pieces of viruses that uh, are not um, dangerous, but uh, can trigger uh, an antibody response that will protect against the real thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, these are, these are wonderful ideas and these are ideas that can be tested in at least to, to some degree in normal volunteers. Right. But uh and, and, and that's why you know in, in the results in normal volunteers that have been reported lately uh, with Moderna, uh, by Moderna are yes. are are intriguing and encouraging. I mean phase one and working with normal volunteers is 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 um is for a medical experimenter, I mean <laughs> the ideal setting because you yeah. control most of the variables. Uh and the idea here is to uh, give uh, the, uh, the vaccine and see the reactions in in normal volunteers. And that's what they saw. I mean, they saw uh, that volunteers mounted an antibody response that was promising. But yeah. That, yeah, yeah, go ahead, sorry.
0: No, no, so I was just going to, so I was a little confused um, about Moderna's um, results and I haven't really looked at it deeply uh but phase 1 uh typically as you say normal um volunteers um less than certain age as my understanding male uh typically and so um and i think of that 40 subjects in phase 1 uh, they have indicated that eight um have developed uh antibodies so uh you know if if this this population is young and healthy and and the statistics I, I have seen in COVID-19 is that young and healthy uh, people actually even turn asymptomatic uh, to the disease. So do these results actually, it, uh, actually indicate anything?
1: Well, you know, I think you, you put your finger exactly on the problem with generalizing results obtained in phase one and extrapolating from healthy populations to populations that are most likely to suffer from a viral infection, uh, and, and 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 also, I mean, we have to we have to uh, ask ourselves uh, whether uh, the antibodies that are present in those volunteers would work against the real thing. I mean, the the uh, I think that it was said is by Moderna that the uh, concentration of antibodies in plasma in those volunteers. Was at least equal to that seen in patients who had recovered from a a covid infection yeah Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's the same thing i mean you know the antibodies are very complex molecules and it could be that some antibodies uh, resemble the antibodies that would do the real work and uh, but not sufficiently and then there is the problem of there is the problem as you pointed out of you know who who are the uh, the subjects, and how do they? How different are they from the from the victims or the uh, mm-hmm. the possible victims? And they are enormously different. I mean, uh, I think that sixty percent of, of the deaths or more uh, are uh, in um, elderly people, people over seventy five, and. Yeah. Um, uh, it's very unusual, and I don't know whether anybody has done that before. To, very unusual to test new medications or new agents in people that old. I mean, one could, I guess, um, do that progressively, but it right. remains that it and then there's the question of you know, um, uh, how, how, how I was, I mean, how can you prove? how to prove that the vaccine works yeah and for that you have to, you have to basically make somebody you have to treat somebody with a vaccine and then make that person sick right, right. with the real thing and making that person sick is uh, uh, not that simple because uh, I mean there's the amount of there is the amount of, of viral particles, the viral load, I mean, how it's administered and so forth. I mean, even if you have results that are promising after a uh, making some subjects who have been vaccinated sick with the virus, it doesn't mean that the vaccine is going to protect a population at large from, from the real thing. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, at some point, uh, they have to do Large trials, and by large, we're talking about thousands, thousands of subjects.
0: Yeah. And the reason, yeah,
1: yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So you
0: know the 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 typical development process, um, as as we have gone through in pharmaceutical companies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, takes a long time, right? You go through phase one, phase two A, phase two B, phase three. Yeah. And uh, here we are running through that, um, or attempting to run through that, fairly quickly. Uh, but the other, other um, issue, or you know, from the data at least, uh, the the symptoms and the mortality uh, are very different from certain populations. So clearly, you know, age um, is there. Older people are more likely to be affected by it. Uh, yeah. Underlying diseases are there, like diabetes and hypertension. Uh, but it is also the case that African-Americans and Asian-Americans are more likely to be affected uh, by it. And so I don't know if it is a genetic um, related uh, issue or or wh- wh- why, why do you think that is the case?
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, and I don't think anybody does. But uh, I think that the uh, usual uh, questions are, you know, is this... Uh, a lack of uh, an 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 overall an overall uh, how could I say a poorest state of health in a given population, or a, a less access to medical facilities, yeah. or uh, you know uh, the presence of concurrent illnesses, uh, or a genetic predisposition. Or, or 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 whatever, and in, in there are a number, a number of possibilities, a number of drivers, so to speak. Yes. And unless you uh, do you, you study relatively large populations and model the contribution of those different drivers, you you may not have you may not have a, a clear answer. And it could be that each of those drivers contribute to some degree. So it's a complex equation. Uh, and I don't think anybody has put it together. Do you think? Um, do
0: you think there is a possibility of it's not a single organism? Um, you know, there might be multiple mutations or even multiple organisms because the symptoms themselves seem highly varied uh, in populations.
1: Well, you have the the symptoms are probably the result of the interaction between uh, the uh, the the agent uh, and 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 the uh, and the recipient. So uh, uh, the virus, as we understand it, mutates. So it's not always the same thing. Uh, it could be working in conjunction with something else that we haven't identified. Yeah. And then the genetic, uh, the genetic um, receptacle, so to speak, you know, is 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 different, of course, from one person to another, from one group to another, from uh, one race to another. All this is quite complicated.
0: Right, right. So but, in general, uh, in general, uh, would you say here then? Um, although there is you know, a lot of um, optimism around early data, it is still uh, early days uh, in terms of you know kind of proving something that is safe. Uh, and then the manufacturability of
1: that is uh, not shown either, so it has to be scaled well, yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, I'm less I'm less worried about the manufacturing issues because pharmaceutical companies can mount tremendous, uh, you know, campaigns to uh, yeah. build uh, those things, and particularly if those viruses are basically man-made with uh, pieces of DNA or RNA material mm-hmm. and so forth that can be scaled up very, very rapidly, as I understand it. Right. But it remains that uh, there will be, large trials will be needed. I don't think that uh, those vaccines will be given to the population before those large trials are completed. And those large trials are required because the uh, probability of being infected naturally yeah. remains slow. I mean, if you look at the numbers of people who have been exposed to the, to the virus uh, over the last three months in yes. uh, Western countries, I mean, uh, all the numbers indicate that uh, it's in the single-digit range. Mm-hmm. And it could be as low as 5%. Now, uh, that means that uh, if we were to test uh, uh, a vaccine uh, tomorrow uh, for the next three months, you know, we we are, we would be giving uh, that uh, vaccine. We would vaccinate a large number of people who are unlikely to get affected by the virus. Yeah, yeah that's a, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's, 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 that's the problem that's the problem with uh, uh, vaccination trials. It takes huge numbers to see small signals. Yeah. And then you have uh, you have another problem, mm-hmm. is that if you look at the success of vaccines for things as I mean benign as the flu or the regular flu, so to speak, yeah, as in certain years, those successes are. Not very reassuring. I mean, they work in sixty percent of cases, or you know, some seventy percent of cases. That leaves out thirty percent right. of the population. So, I mean, we would like to have a, a vaccine that works better than those vaccines that have been used year after year in in the flu season.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the the reasoning that is typically used uh, for that is that uh, we didn't pick up the right mutation.
1: Yeah, but Man. you always, you always, you always step behind because yeah. the, the, <laughs> right. the the virus mutates ahead of you. So, right, you right. Know, so um, and and, and the, the the last another another issue that I have to mention. Yeah, and this has happened in the past with some vaccines, is that by the time we have enough vaccine, there won't be any sick patient left. <laughs> right. So and he, this has happened. This has happened to uh, some pharmaceutical companies. I don't know the exact uh, the exact situation the name of the company, but they were ready with the vaccine. There was nobody to vaccinate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It It is. Uh, so as you mentioned, Sweden uh, apparently had a strategy of uh, getting herd immunity, as they called it. Uh, and uh, the antibody testing there uh, shows only about five percent of the population, as you mentioned. Yeah, in Sweden, yes, uh, yeah, are uh, are infected, and so um, so the 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 idea of getting a large number of people infected and and develop herd immunity um, seems to be <laughs> a, a difficult thing to do and. And this natural uh, natural herd
1: immunity, yeah, it it doesn't look like it's possible at all with the virus in its current form. But uh, the idea is to achieve, you know, so-called herd immunity with a vaccine. Right. Not naturally, but, you know, almost naturally. yeah.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so I want to um, switch into another topic. So, so your research uh, at the Douglas Institute now is in the area of Alzheimer's? Yes. I mean, I, I
1: do two things, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have a support role in the uh, Prevention of Alzheimer's program. And I should mention that I'm no longer the co-director of that program. I, I, I resigned. I'm, I'm just yeah. one scientist in the program. And the program is going quite well. The only thing is that we can't see any of those uh, volunteers in the cohort of people that we follow because of this um, annoying virus situation. Mm. So the program is pretty much interrupted right now. So I work um, on on, on that. Yeah. Um, And I work and I support uh, Professor Brunet, Alain Brunet, who is... uh, the inventor of the combination of uh, uh, propranolol plus uh, repeated exposure uh, to the uh, to uh, to the trauma in 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 a, in, in the treatment of uh, post post traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So my role there is to uh, evaluate uh, the um, participants and make sure that they don't have uh, other conditions that would complicate the interpretation of results or uh, have a medical condition that uh, would make the administration of propranolol uneasy or potentially dangerous. Yeah. Uh, So the
0: the PTSD
1: um,
0: area, um, what are the kind of the recent uh, developments there? Um, Are we, are we getting a better view as to how to, uh, you know uh, how to treat it, how to
1: uh, possibly improve the situation? Uh, I'm not a specialist of PTSD, uh, and I don't. You know, my my understanding of PTSD is uh, the result of my collaboration with uh, Professor Brunet and his crew, uh, okay. but. Um, I think that uh, the PTSD is uh, uh, a very complex thing. And even if we have an operational definition of PTSD uh, that uh, is satisfying for pharmaceutical companies and eventually for uh, putting together uh, a, uh, a claim. Uh, for uh, a drug or a particular treatment, even though we have an operational definition of, of, of PTSD, and you know it's which is pretty arbitrary, uh, yeah. p- PTSD ranges from you know feeling bad after having uh, uh, missed uh, an exam to yes. Yes. Uh, you know having uh, uh, having uh, almost. Uh, uh, auditory hallucinations uh, of uh, children uh, crying before being shut down uh, mm. as a scene from a war zone or or, or something like that. Right. Uh, the uh, the approach of um, I call him Anna Brunet. Uh, the Brunet approach is is uh, is innovative, innovative, innovative. Uh, in that uh, it combines a rather classical uh, treatment, the uh, re-exposition to um, an image or a a memory of uh, the traumatic experience, which in itself is uh, beneficial in many people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It combines it with the administration of a beta blocker Propranolol, which was selected because it crosses the blood-brain barrier very well, better than others, mm-hmm. and um, how can I say, dulls down the uh, physical reaction associated with the uh, uh, PTSD experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead.
0: It's almost like—is it like almost conditioning the brain to
1: to, to accept? I think I I I I don't know exactly, but there are two things. First, first, yeah. first of all, basically listening like those participants do to somebody reading their uh their description of the most traumatic experience they've had is yeah. already helping. It's it as if you're sharing that experience, or it says if you are you are pass it on, you pass it on to somebody else, and I mean I I. I I don't have a better way of describing that, but that in itself is 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 helpful. And then mm-hmm. uh, having that experience without the neurovegetative uh, uh, symptoms that you uh, have normally, such as you know the tightness yeah. of the chest. I mean, you know, the uh, the weakness in the limb in the in the in the legs. Uh, the perspiration, the, uh, the, um, the 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 rapid breathing—I mean, all those things that are associated with a higher state of alertness—and not having that, um, as I said, dulls down the physical aspects of the traumatic mm. memory, and right. uh, it, it, it it seems to have remarkable effects in in his. In his uh, in his in his hands, uh, and and in the hands of others, because I think the method has been exported and replicated by many, uh, including a large experiment in France where they treated victims of um, uh, the shooting at the yeah. yes. in some bar, bataclan or whatever something like that. There were, I think, uh, a great many uh, victims who were treated with that uh, with that approach. And I think that they had results, positive results, in at least two third, two thirds of the, two third of the subjects.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the the again back to the Alzheimer's uh, disease area. Uh-huh. Um, what are the developments? Is Adicept still uh, still an available medication? I haven't really following.
1: Uh, it, it is. Following, it it yeah. is. Um... It is, uh, and it's still used um, early, in, early in the disease. I mean, it depends on what you mean by, by early. I mean, it's a relative thing. I mean, what, yeah. what, what Dr. Breitner, who set up the, um, John Brightner, who set up the Center for Prevention of Alzheimer's Disease, was interesting in uh, figuring out was uh, the changes the biochemical and basically multimodal changes that uh, one can measure, one can observe and measure in people at risk for developing Alzheimer's disease, but who are okay. asymptomatic. And you, in your music, you follow them year after year after year, and you, 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 you measure as many things as, as, as you can um, without um, irritating them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and those volunteers are, you know, uh, um, amazingly, amazingly compliant and uh, <laughs> a, 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 and how can I say, uh, dedicated. But it remains that they have they have their own limits. Uh, right, right. Yeah, and so so you measure what everything. You, you measure in yeah. in the CSF. You measure as many proteins as you can. Uh, you yeah. uh, do uh, you know structural and. Uh, uh, dynamic examinations of the brain, uh, PET scans. I mean, everything you can throw through at them, provided mm-hmm. you, you, you can do that repeatedly. And you try to understand what is the chain of reactions that lead to the emergence of symptoms? Yeah, so it's it
0: sounds to me that um, it's sort of a mechanistic view of the brain, um, uh, meaning... <laughs> If we can understand what what might be causing it mechanistically, uh, that might indicate how we might be able to uh, able to alleviate it. But I wanted also, yeah, is there a is there a view? Um, you know, it's a disease that is sort of holistic uh, to the brain, and 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 I'm just asking the question. I don't know much about it. Um, in in which case you know, the, the mechanistic things that we can see inside the brain uh, may be less relevant?
1: Well, uh, the fact that it's probably uh, a very complex illness or a very complex disease with with multi multifactorial disease, okay? Uh, yeah. And... Uh, including, uh, you know, lifestyle, other conditions, and so forth, and so forth. It remains that um, the uh, progression of structural changes is very yes. typical, replicable, and basically the same in everybody. And it has and it has yeah. been it has been known for, you know, decades. Uh, the yeah. stages of progression of the structural changes is very, very uh, well understood. What's not understood was prece- what precedes, what precedes uh, the the events on the re- what triggers, what triggers what, or the yeah. reactions and the chain of reactions, uh, or the long chain of reactions, perhaps that that precedes those very uh, replicable and well understood structural dispersion of structural changes. Uh, mm. um...
0: So, so that, you know, um, I remember, this was a long time ago, I remember, you know, there was something about exercising the brain uh, and there was some data that showed that people who have interests in a lot of different things, uh, music, literature, engineering, medicine, whatever you have, a uh, lot of different things uh, seem to have less of a likelihood uh, of having ad and and related to that is people who are in professions like medicine or engineering uh, who seem to do very specific things for a very long time uh, seem to be more prone to the disease. Is that is that true i don't know i don't I, I don't know yeah. if it's
1: if it's true at all i mean intuitively i'd be happy to learn uh, or to be, I'd be happy to be told that uh, having many interests is 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 a you know a protective measure uh, because I try to do that for myself. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> I'm not sure at all that it's going to work. I mean, intuitively, perhaps. Mm. I mean, if you well, suppose, for instance, that you learn something, you learn something you've never learned. No, I'm not yep. talking about, you know, uh going back and refreshing your knowledge of German or uh doing some uh, differential equations that you did when you were nineteen or something like that. No, something you've never done. Like yep. I don't know, um playing the bandoli for instance. Oh, sorry, you know, <laughs> right. That involves you know movements from two hands, basically the the the, the, the building of all kinds of circuitry. It will allow you to coordinate your left hand and your right hand. Well, the yeah. same the same would apply, I presume, to uh, dancing. If if you're not a dancer, you know, basically something to do something you've never done. I think you know, probably forces the the brain to develop some circuitries to allow to make that possible. And uh, yeah. These circuitries may be very useful when you when 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 you lose when you lose the old ones i know I just don't know
0: yeah, so it's sort of a redundancy yes. right so if you if you get some redundant circuits uh if one is going off, and obviously in engineering designs that's always the case right especially in um in autonomous vehicles or something yeah. like that um redundancy is a big aspect of it because we know. Things are going to break at some point, so there has to be something that can take over. But it's it seems like brain is a very um, uh, very elastic um, organ in the sense that it can it can do things that it's not trained to do fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, when some parts of the brain is is affected, it seems like other parts are uh, sort of able to specialize in the same arena. Uh, fairly quickly so so i wondered uh, but but this is uh, alzheimer's itself is is kind of a systemic uh issue right it's affecting almost the entire brain it's not affecting part the, the no brain,
1: it, it? it's in, of, of course it's affecting the entire brain but in, in a certain sequence, yeah. and one of the parts that uh is uh damaged early are the uh, temporal medial part and, and the hippocampus formation and i um there, there is a researcher in uh, our institution uh, veronique bobot who has mm-hmm. shown that uh, navigation exercises in yeah. uh, people at risk for developing alzheimer's disease people in their 50s or even their 60s and so forth uh, that navigation exercises actually result in, morpho- in, in in changes in the shape and volume of, the hap- of, of, of that structure that is so vulnerable, the hippocampus. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't be tempted to, to, to conclude that new circuitries have been built and have contributed to the mm-hmm. change in the shape of that uh, region of the brain. Uh, I mean, something has changed. Because the 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 the, yeah. the 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 difference is, is you know, sizable and uh, me- measurable. It it's impressive. Yeah. So from a therapeutic
0: perspective, here are, are there new drugs in the market? No. Okay. So it's no. pretty much what has been in existence for twenty years. Well, yeah. So. I mean,
1: you know, uh, huge number of trials and uh, drugs. Uh, uh, the uh, um, antibody approach uh, trying to remove trying to remove amyloid uh have been i don't know how many how many drugs and how many drugs have been thrown at, uh, at that problem uh but none of them so far has uh, shown much promise i mean the, there is i don't know if you've heard but biogen yeah. Uh, has claimed that uh, they have uh, some uh, interesting and reassuring results in uh, their trial when reanalyzed but um, I haven't looked at those results but the colleagues I've talked to and so forth are very skeptical uh, and mm. um, uh, it's not at all certain that uh, the FDA is that enthused by those results um, We'll we'll see yeah
0: so um you know there has been a lot of development in the area of uh, artificial intelligence, yeah. as you know. Uh, I wondered if there is anything you know in terms of early diagnostics if you do if you use MRI or or some data uh, from the brain um that machines can uh recognize you know uh, i mean for for this to be useful, it has to be reasonably early, i would imagine right. Uh, by the time it is it is uh, sort of set, uh, it's probably pretty easy to diagnose with existing. We symptoms. are
1: very well equipped now. I would say to um, predict that somebody is going to develop Alzheimer's disease at a time when they have mm-hmm. virtually no symptoms to speak of, and um, yeah. The uh, predictive value uh, increases with the number of modalities you follow. Um, you can measure certain components of the uh, cerebrospinal fluid after a spinal tap. That's very predictable by itself. Mm. You can measure mm. the early deposition of uh, amyloid in the brain. That's uh, has some predictive value as well, but. Uh, and uh, you can see uh, the changes uh, in uh, the uh, reaction of the brain to certain tasks. And lately, you can also follow the circuitry of the brain, uh, connectome analysis, as they call them, uh, uh, that uh, basically measure the strength and the speed of transfer of information from one region of the brain to another. Uh, and yeah. last but not least, neuropsychological tests have their own predictive value as well. So if you put all that together, uh, you, can, uh, you can have uh, 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 a good estimate of uh, the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease within the next five or 10 years.
0: Yeah. Five or 10 years. But in the, when, if we don't really have um, yeah. therapeutics, um, what does you know? Is it, does early diagnosis really help us? It depends on
1: whom you talk to. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some people would right. want to know, and some people don't want to know. Uh, you know, mm. uh, and we, I don't. I don't think it would be wise to to impose those tests on the population at large. It would cost a fortune to start with, and as you said, there's nothing you can do. Well, there's nothing we can do to change the course of uh, of the illness. Yeah. But there are certain things uh, that people can do if they know some people want to know because they want change and make decisions about uh, their own life. Uh, you know, they want to, right. like, to retire early or not retire at all, you know, pass their money and trust to their children. Uh you know uh, maybe um learn to dance. <laughs> Whatever. You know, everybody's different. yeah
0: yeah yeah so so i want to come back to the the clinical trials area yeah. uh, one more time um so do you think the approaches that companies are taking uh because of the because of the requirements that we have uh to to counteract the shock to the system so to speak the approaches they are taking that seem to be they they're, they're able to accelerate the r&d process timelines um substantially, um, you know, compared in, to the... In steps, Alzheimer's COVID. disease? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, so oh, I'm COVID. About COVID you would that to you know, COVID, COVID now. Specific, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, you know, they, at least on the surface, appear to accelerate this timelines uh, substantially, either through uh, better approaches, um, sequencing things differently. Do you think this will have an impact on pharma r and is done in the future?
1: Uh... I think uh, it, 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 I think. Uh, in, in, f- as far as if we talk about COVID, I mean, you know, we, we talk about the difficulty yeah. of going from normal volunteers and, uh, you know, proving what they call target engagement. Basically, you know, the drug does what it's supposed to do in normal volunteers uh, to uh, vaccinating the population, a large population. Uh, there will be, I think... That uh, there might be some innovation around the transition from normal volunteers to uh, the population at large, especially hmm. if uh, the calculation of risk benefits is done correctly. Uh, yep. If there is a way of showing that vaccinating, a large segment of the population without uh, having the traditional results to get there, uh, vaccinating that large segment of the population in, 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 in that situation will save a great deal more lives than uh, following the status quo, uh, we might be able to accelerate uh the availability of vaccines. Uh, it, it's yeah. possible. I, th- I think that um, this, this is a crisis, but this is a crisis that may uh, trigger all kinds of innovations, particularly around that, the transition I'm trying to describe.
0: Yeah, yeah. The complication in COVID though is that the mortality is significantly higher uh, in a population yeah of yeah, yeah. Of 50. but
1: it, 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 there as well i mean you know uh the innovation might be to include uh in yeah. normal volunteers people who are much older you know normal right. elderly right. Type, type people and I, and I'm, i i read that uh the number of people interested in in volunteering to receive uh the uh, uh the you know, this inoculation with the virus after being vaccinated it, it, it is pretty high. Will they be allowed to participate in, in, in such trials? I, I, I don't know, but uh, that, that will be a, a very interesting terrain to perhaps develop uh, new, uh, new approaches and new transitions from normal volunteers to elderly volunteers to the population at large.
0: Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So you know, this almost like a field yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, where yeah. So other than subjects, um, what you have there is you know, sort of a, a typical cross section that you anticipate uh, of the yeah. population.
1: I mean, typically, uh, yeah. if you look at um, Ebola or um, other, I mean, I'm not saying it Ebola is a typical disease, but uh, as far as vaccination is concerned, I mean, the idea is to increase, is to choose a population that is at higher risk of being exposed to the virus. And uh, in our case, it would be, um, you know, uh, medical personnel and the uh, elderly people uh, living in nursing homes. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. There's a lot of speculation, here that you know, the, there could be a second wave of yes. COVID in the fall. And
1: uh, what, what's am just I'm just, I would so, just repeat what yeah, I heard that, from yeah. specialists. Uh, and yeah. I think that uh, yeah. many of them are very concerned about that. And it's largely based on uh, the uh, analysis of uh, epidemics uh, caused by viruses of the same type uh so uh if uh, the you know the predictions are correct uh, we should have another wave in autumn
0: yeah it's um the other complication there obviously is uh during the influenza season there is 40,000 yeah. deaths in the us uh, by yeah. you know simple flu and uh, because the symptoms are so much alike uh, between uh, covid and and uh, regular flu and and this is going to probably triple um you know triple that number if if there isn't any vaccine or uh, if we uh, essentially handle it the same way as we did this time so do you see um a problem with you know these two things happening at the same time and how that might uh, that might Create a problem for the healthcare. Well, system.
1: sure. I mean, uh, uh, this is what experts say. Um, what is? Yeah. As I understand it, what's particular about this virus is uh, the trends in the in the course of the illness is the transition from a flu-like um, a situation into a mm-hmm. acute respiratory distress syndrome situation, which is associated with an inflammatory. Inflammatory response an excessive inflammatory response in the lungs and perhaps other tissues as well yeah and um, mm. uh, if uh, i mean the, the, there will, there will be a, a number of treatments uh, experimental treatments that will be available uh, there will be antiviral antiviral drugs of you know classical ones, uh, new ones. And uh, there will be i think uh, uh, treatments of uh, the uh, this uh, inflammatory storm uh, that is perhaps even perhaps even at least as Im- as important as the antiviral per se uh, now yeah. yeah yeah go ahead yeah do you see yeah so go ahead, go ahead. Uh, i don't know what is the proportion or the the frequent, the, the proportion of patient, of of uh, patients with uh, with the flu who develop an ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, uh-huh. but it's probably much much yeah. lower than uh, with uh, with COVID. Right, right,
0: and and of course uh, by the time we get it back.
1: Um, it could be mutated. Yeah, but you know the already. the nice thing so, about the component sort of, of treatment yeah. that addresses the inflammatory syndrome is that it's independent of the cause to some extent. So it, it, an, an okay. ARDS would be treated, you know, with probably the same cocktail of drugs, regardless of the original cause of the primary cause. Yes. Right. Do you
0: see any value in you know some of this preventative? Um, medications that you know that have been talked that, about um, do you see any value for large hydroxychloroquine,
1: yeah, hydroxychloroquine yeah, is like an that. interesting uh, it's an interesting drug I mean I know a president takes it um, as a preventive measure uh, mm-hmm. much to uh, the chagrin of uh, some of uh, his scientific advices but hydroxychloroquine uh, is also an anti-inflammatory drug. Um, mm. I don't know. It you know it 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 has been tested in, as I understand it, in uh, patients who were already quite sick, and there uh, mm. it doesn't show much of a therapeutic signal at all. But uh, right. is it possible right. that it might have uh, preventive efficacy? I just don't know. the The problem with giving it as a prevention drug it's not is that it's not an innocuous drug and has um, a cardiac side effects. So, it, uh, yeah, there's QT, a QT, and the uh, risk of, uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, what they call torsade, uh, which is. Uh, Basically, an erratic beating of the heart leading to uh, heart failure, uh, and that's a very yeah. dangerous situation. Very dangerous condition, of course, and uh, um, that has to be calculated. I mean, even uh, right right now, it, it, it looks as if uh, the, the the risk benefit the risk benefit is not uh, reassuring. Was certainly not convincing. Right, right, right. Um, is it possible that a lower dose of the drug, with uh, cardiac monitoring, uh, might 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 help? Might have some preventive value. I just don't know. Yeah, that seems like a, especially
0: for the younger population, that mm-hmm. seems like a tough path. Um, you know, if you have an 80, only only about a twenty percent chance of getting severe symptoms uh taking something preventatively uh that has other uh, potentially long term um, issues uh seem like a risk reward that is uh, uh, to date. it
1: has it has to be it has to be calculated we just don't know um we probably don't know enough to condemn the drug as having no yeah. value whatsoever as a preventive yeah. agent, but we don't have any <laughs> right. data to support the notion yeah. that it should be taken because it's pretty safe and might do something good. So we are in a fog. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. Yeah, I remember. I remember it being uh, something that was advised for people to take when they travel to Africa or India, when where there yeah. is sense of malaria uh from the u.s uh i don't know if that is that is still uh still uh advised advised or not um but uh when i was you know going to india uh in the 80s and 90s i was advised to take it even though the area i was going Paris to was didn't it have for much me. malaria at all yeah uh
1: in the in the 90s yeah. um Traveling to India for—I mean, I went to. I remember it was in 1996, I think, uh, that I first traveled to India for Pfizer, and uh, I had to go through the yeah. um, some tropical disease clinic, and uh, I took right. f- some drug during my in advance. I can't remember oh, a couple of weeks in advance of the departure time, and uh, I took some. And I kept on taking it while I was there. And I, I, I just don't remember whether it was hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I
0: remember the name. Um it was it was chloroquine. I don't know if it was hydroxychloroquine, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. chloroquine well, is what I remember.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a yeah. So just to, um just to just to conclude on this here, um you know uh what is your if if you think about it most optimistically um from a pharmaceutical perspective uh what what are your kind of optimistic views uh and i want to touch on both uh, covid as well as ad um and and you know kind of the brain related uh aging related brain diseases uh in general um what what would you say you know uh, optimistically uh, how well, we are progress on the covid front dimensions.
1: i think i'm very optimistic i think that uh, yeah. uh cocktails of uh, medications uh will you know will be found uh and they will uh, have a an antiviral component and an anti-inflammatory component uh and uh, I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure not not pretty sure but i'm optimistic that uh, a decent vaccine yeah. uh, will be uh, available for large scale testing uh, towards the end of this year. Now, whether uh, the uh, vaccine will be made available to the population at large uh, around that time, uh, in other words, without waiting for the results of the large scale trials, I just don't know. Uh probably not. Most of the experts mm-hmm. I re, uh, you know, I, re, I, I I read say, you know, you, it will take it will take a year or a year and a half before the last large scale large scale trials are completed and we can release the the the, the vaccine for the population yeah. at large. But this being made, it it's yeah. these are still good news. Okay, so I'm I'm optimistic about COVID. Uh now yeah. on the Alzheimer front, uh it's uh, it's a little more complicated. Uh, a little more complicated. <laughs> we, we we do not have uh, we do do not have a, 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 an understanding of the uh, chain of biochemical changes leading to irreversible structural changes. We we just don't. Uh, it, it it's not clear. Yeah, uh, when it's clear, I think you know, um, it may very well be possible that we can interfere uh, or block uh, an element of that uh, an element of that chain, so that the uh, the progression of the disease stops is, is stops in its tracks. But um, mm-hmm. we we don't we understand we we understand COVID so much better. <laughs> It's a, it's 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 a small thing, right. but uh, <laughs> we we understand it well. It's it's just amazing the amount of information that has been gathered on that on that you know uh, virus in such a small time.
0: Yeah, but that has always been the case, right? We are pretty good uh, at external threats to the human body, but it's all the autoimmune well, yeah. issues uh, that we haven't uh, been uh. able to solve.
1: <laughs> well, at least we are good at certain things. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Excellent. So I, I really appreciate uh, Pierre taking the time to talk with me today. And uh, and keep safe. Uh, hopefully, we'll get over. All right. Uh, you're well, same to you and your so. family. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Bye.